It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, along with a very special guest. It's Jim Mullen, the president of Football Canada. Jim, welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us. Talk to me about what's been going on with Football Canada in the last little while. Well, I know what's been going on with me. It's mainly been focused on SFU, but uh, Football Canada has been preparing uh, for the Women's National Flag Championship uh, that's coming up in Montreal, uh, May 5th and 6th. And that, that flag championship is a collegiate flag championship. I think one of the things that we're trying to do um, in the uh, in the college space is to uh, build more paths for women to uh, play football and to forge a path with U sports over the next couple of years that we can create women's flag as a varsity sport. In Quebec, the RSEQ already sponsors women's flag football. There's a structure there behind it, um, not just with uh, RSEQ at the university level, but also at the CJEP level. So we find that most of our um, national team right now comes from Quebec. There's a good cohort from Saskatchewan as well. We'd really like to work with the institutions across Canada to develop some paths now, um, whether it's in Ontario with the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate uh, Football League, whether it's in, in Canada West working regionally in pockets, whether it's in the AUS to create a, a true national championship. And I think this speaks, and I know we're probably going to speak about SFU here in a second, but I think this speaks to gender equity in the game. And it's one of the reasons why I've fought so hard for the uh, SFU program, because uh, men's tackle programs at universities, in my mind, are conveyors to other opportunities. And what I mean by that is through that 100, 110 uh, player cohort, we want to generate opportunities for, for those players uh, in a different season to coach and officiate and then support the growth of uh, women's flag football at the university level. I, I think it's much easier to create that infrastructure when that football team is already there. SFU's decision to eliminate the men's team in turn actually takes away decisions and opportunities for, uh, for women to join in the game. And that's going to be very important as well as we move forward towards uh, getting flag football in the Olympic Games. It's certainly not confirmed yet, but there's an IOC meeting in Mumbai in uh, October, which will determine uh, which sports are included just on the Los Angeles 2028 Games uh, agenda. And flag football is one of those things. Obviously, you've seen the Shift a flag at the Pro Bowl. That's very intentional by the NFL to have that focus. Um, we're feeling confident, but we're not feeling cocky about at the IFAF level about getting this to uh, to the Olympic Games. So, uh, with that, I think there will be a real cultural shift uh, around the game. It's something that uh, we're preparing for at Football Canada in terms of that growth. You made a reference to cultural shift. What exactly does that entail? And how is it applied when we're talking about men and women in football? Well, it's a bit of the, it's a bit about gender equity. There's no question about that, especially on the on the flag side. 
Um, you know, we have a women's national tackle team. They played in Finland this past summer. They've won silver medals all the way up to now. They were kept off the podium by uh, Great Britain and Finland. Of course, the Americans uh, won first place there. But the numbers for women's tackle in comparison to 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 men's tackle or boys' tackle, it, it's it's barely comparable. I think when you start digging into the numbers and the participation, uh, even outside of uh, uh, Football Canada registered programs, but just recreational programs, it really gets closer to that 40, 60, 45, 55 number in terms of uh, participation. Uh, there's also co-ed as well that uh, takes root both in the um, both in the youth side and in the the adult side as well. The other cultural shift on this is that having an Olympic Games as an objective changes things in terms of the culture. Right now, we've just got professional leagues for men in tackle as an objective if you play the game, right? you got the CFL, you've got the NFL. Maybe you'll go over and play in Europe for a little while, right? With the uh, possible opportunity of going and playing in an Olympic Games, that for, for our organization, that changes our funding model. For the athletes, it creates way more opportunity. For the universities, it makes it more attractive for them to pick up flag football programs. And as I said about five minutes ago about that conveyor, the stronger that we can make flag football programs in the springtime, the stronger we can make tackle programs in the in the fall. There's that piece, and then there's also the piece of uh, our LTAD, our Long-Term Athlete uh, Development Program. We want kids to pick up the game at a much younger age, four, five, six, seven, but pick up flag football just so you can develop the skill set and the confidence in the game. So that when you progress up to the age of about 12, families can start making that decision whether or not they want their child to play tackle football, play flag football, maybe put that tackle decision off a little bit, or play both. You know, there'll be that opportunity to play both as well, to, to, to have, uh, have that skill set, have, uh, have that confidence that you can move forward. I think that's all, all positive. So the LTAD piece... Uh, the Olympic piece, and the current men's program supporting the growth of women's programs. I think those are three parts that are all part of the uh, cultural transformation we're uh, just starting to experience in, in football. But with an Olympic thing, it's going to change the face of the game in this country, I think. We've seen how the Olympics have changed curling, for instance, and how that impacts, uh, would it have the same sort of dramatic impact in flag football where you'd see maybe teams form independently and try to go, or would it be a case where they'd have to be a part of a certain system? Well, I think in flag and with my uh, conversations that I've had with USA football, there's a number of groups right now with some private funding uh, that exists with outside a national development system that really want to take a run at professionalizing uh, the game or creating uh, tournament opportunities that exist outside of uh, of the uh, of the national model. And God bless them. The more the more people that go out there and play football, the better. That's fine. But if if you actually have aspirations to play on a national team, play on a provincial team, you have to do it through the PSOs, the provincial organizations. 
and you have to do it through the NSO, the National Sports Organization. So at the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, Football Canada and its 10 partners that determine the outcome of how we get to the Olympics. Um, how you want to develop outside of that is up to you as an athlete. If you think that um, going outside the system to to get training, to get gameplay, to do those things, that's fine. But uh, we intend moving forward to provide all those things and to provide all those things at a at a, at a low cost that's very accessible to to people right across the socioeconomic lines. Uh, the focus now is to be prepared uh, with tournament opportunities at the national level and at the provincial level and uh, and eventually develop a, a national team, both on the men's and the women's side, that are capable of hitting a podium. Simon Fraser University, it's been a hot-button topic for months now. It started back when the Lone Star Conference said to the team, uh, you're not welcome here anymore. What uh, is happening now? We've heard about litigation. If anyone, you're the person who is most on the pulse of what's happening with that for full transparency, done a lot of interviews this week. I think I'm getting worn out. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, um, uh, you know, being president of uh, Football Canada and actually, you know, being out here on the coast, it's allowed me to engage uh, with the SFU alumni group who's uh, been trying to uh, find paths to save this program to do two things from my position. One of them is, you know, my personal skill set of uh, running communications plans. And I think in terms of getting the message out, I think in terms of establishing the storyline that amazingly has gone basically unchallenged by the university, I think we've done an outstanding job of that. And I think by being able to uh, tell our story in an effective way, we've been able to build all the stakeholders that, that are visible to everyone in an alliance on this. The most encouraging thing that I think that I can take out of this is look across uh, the uh, football ecosystem in this country, the CFL, the CFLPA, the university coaches, the CJFL, the local PSOs, and then you start digging down into, into mayors of cities around uh, around uh, Simon Fraser, um, there were member statements both by the NDP and the Conservative Party in the last couple of days. Uh, I mean, I can start digging down more and more and more, but we're united. Instead of being in silos all over the place and working to our own purposes, we're working for these young student-athletes uh, because of the way they've been treated by the university, and we're working to maintain uh, and, and grow our sport. And, and that's what the focus has been over this last month. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, that's pretty fantastic. I think what's been tragic is how it just doesn't seem to matter to the university. <laughs> the response, the, the engagement, it, it's been lacking. And now they're going through a process of where they're trying to reverse engineer transparency and consultation. And I don't think a lot of us are buying it. Uh, I think the... Um, I said it was two things. Second thing is uh, being able to be in a position uh, with an NSO where I can uh, reach out and have conversations with stakeholders like U Sports and Canada West. Now, I'll put it this way. I think the way that Simon Fraser characterized the position of both those organizations 
uh, at the time is not the situation we have today. Uh, I think that U Sports is open. Uh, they will work earnestly to try to find a solution uh, in terms of their role in this. And I believe that Canada West will as well. If if there's a team there and if the university applies to uh, both those organizations, technically they have to apply to Canada West first, then they have to apply to um, U Sports second. But um, those those things would be ongoing if the team is uh, is resurrected. We're sitting here on a on a Saturday right now. We're really hoping that there can be a conversation in Victoria uh, with the provincial government uh, and the university, the leadership of the university. Uh, beautiful sunny day might be a nice day for the for the president and the minister in charge to go on a picnic and have a conversation about this to, to maybe change some minds. Uh, because I don't think anyone on, on any side of this uh, argument wants to see five young student athletes head off to Supreme Court on Monday morning to take on a university. It's a terrible look for Simon Fraser. I'm, I'm not sure if it does anyone any good, even, even those of us who have been crusading to uh to to resurrect the team it's good that we're showing some fight in this it's good that we have uh, a strategy with this no no one wants to see student athletes take on a university at supreme court hopefully we we don't have to go down that road we are scheduled to be there monday at 10 in the morning we've got a full day at court hopefully we'll have a judgment by four on the injunction uh if it is positive then we will have the team restored back to where the the way it was on April 3rd. And it will likely come with some caveats that will force the university to follow through on creating an operating football team. If the alumni, uh, if those five players technically, but the alumni group loses, there are a few more avenues that they can go through to try to uh, resurrect the team. But uh, you know, the one thing that SFU has been good at with the with the way they, they made this announcement at the time they did is everybody's running out of time, right? Uh, they made the announcement when the kids were in, in uh, exams, which is, in, in my mind, unconscionable. These people are supposed to be educators. Uh, they made the announcement at a time when most of the scholarship money out there is used up. So the players can't really move forward with the same economic opportunity to attend schools if, if they have to if they have to move on elsewhere. Uh, the timing of this has been kind of vicious, and unfortunately, if uh, we end up on the on the wrong side of a verdict, uh, then uh, on the injunction, then I think uh, uh, 2023 is not much of a possibility. This is the BC Supreme Court. Correct. I guess for people to understand this, there's the student athletes in this. You talk about the football team, but why is this so important? Why? Because they were playing in the United States. They had they had been with the Canada West 15 years ago, but they pulled out. What what is sort of the moral part of this whole fight? Well, it's 110 opportunities for young men and up until last year it was you know kind of 109 opportunities for young men and one young woman christy elliott who was their kicker on that team it's taking away opportunities from young men at universities and you know what this has been the elephant in the room no one's wanted to really address it when you're looking at universities across this country right now the gender divide is 42 percent male 
and 58% female. You can't take away opportunities for young men who would normally not attend university and expect that trend to change. You know, we're reaching a bit of a crisis point here in terms of young men and post-secondary education and their role on campuses in this country and, and on this continent. And this, in my mind, cancel this football team is a regressive step in that regard. Uh, I, I think it's also a regressive step in that they didn't do their due diligence at Simon Fraser to consult a stakeholder like ourselves to say, if you keep that team in place, you got the infrastructure to build a women's flag team off the back end of it to actually create more opportunity for women in the sport. I, I've dug into this. You know, that's one of the that's one of the conclusions that I come up with. The other piece that I've that, that's emerged to me during these uh, last four weeks or so is, you know, up on campus uh, with teams other than the football team, women's soccer team right now is under investigation and the coach has been put under suspension during the uh, during the process. There's a group of 25 young women that would love to come out and tell their story, but they're terrified. We tried to encourage them over the last couple of weeks to to finally step forward, but they're they're locked in such fear in terms of where they've positioned themselves in regard to the university administration. They just don't feel like they can come forward. To know that there's a story like that that exists on campus outside of the way the football team's been treated. In this story that for me, you know, with all the um, trust and faith that I have in in university sports in Canada. It's it, it's really disquieting. It really is. What are the roadblocks for Simon Fraser to return to Canada West? I had mentioned that they've been there before. What's the biggest thing that they have to overcome? Well, first of all, it's the administration reestablishing the football team, either through court or uh, through the court of public opinion. But uh, beyond that, there is a, an independent schedule drawn up of uh, nine games. So that, so they got to get out on the field, play that uh, schedule, while at the same time they have those discussions with Canada West. The administration just has to apply, first of all. They, they, they literally have to put an application in with Canada West and U Sports. And then that's when the um, negotiation begins uh, on this piece. And, you know, the one strong part here from, from our Football Canada perspective is that, you know, we have done the homework where we want to be able to contribute with some ideas that create a football-specific solution. Football is a unique sport within universities in Canada. It, it takes more infrastructure. It has more profile. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a football guy. Football has way more profile than the other sports. But also, you know, universities in this country have uh, a historical ownership uh, over this game. The game in North America started at the University of Toronto on, on fields outside of the U of T as early as 1861 now, we found out, with a North American hybrid version of the, uh, of the game of rugby. You know, they started on the, uh, on the fields at McGill University. Uh, the the, the McGill-Harvard uh, game, uh, split into two parts in 1874, changed the trajectory of, of what we know as, now as American and Canadian football. That was born from Canadian universities, right? That They 
have a very special place in ensuring that this game not only uh, is maintained, but grows and moves forward, right? To place that that um, historical burden on, on U Sports uh, in Canada West, I, I, I think is important. But I think the one thing these these two groups are reacting to is is there's been just such a push through uh through media and storytelling uh whether it's whether it's mums whether it's alumni whether it's the alumni that that felt so strongly that 11 of them decided to march out of the SFU Sports Hall of Fame that that's for for people don't don't know about that type of cultural bond uh with those who have spent you know those 4 or 5 years at university and are recognized as the best in the history of their school that's some serious stuff. That was a hard decision for those 11 individuals. And we're talking some big names here. We're talking about Louis Pasaglia and Dave Cutler and Doug Brown and Glenn Jackson. And like, I could go through the list. These are, these are significant contributors uh, to the, to the uh, reputation and character of this school. And, and to do that, uh, I mean, I can't think that the, administration isn't paying attention to this i mean it, it it's it's the old sports it's gotta hurt <laughs> it's gotta hurt what would be your charge to the court what are you going to argue in front of the court that they don't have the right to do this uh breach of contract athletic scholarship paying out the academic portion you're not satisfying the athletic portion we believe that the university will will then come back and say, well, there aren't enough players on a team. There isn't a schedule. There, there aren't all these things in place. And we have answers for all of those, right? The affidavits are on the record now. They're registered with the court. All the information that you need about that court case is sitting on a file right now at Supreme Court. So it's all there. Let's say, for sake of argument, that you win. What are the sequences now that have to be put in motion? Because obviously the team has to be reinstituted if a court injunction comes forward. Well, in terms of where they play, uh, they're still a Division II NCAA team then, and they can play an independent schedule. There's five Canadian teams, actually six Canadian teams that have stepped up, two, two in the same week. Four American teams that have stepped up so far to say, we want to play Simon Fraser. Most of those games would be on the road. As well, a number of the teams in the Lone Star Conference had Simon Fraser on their schedule. We're at a time right now where it's impossible to find a team uh, to fill Simon Fraser's spot with a number of those teams. Now, now those teams are are well-run operations. The Lone Star Conference is always in the top three of Division II conferences. They sell season tickets. They sell sponsorships. They have an infrastructure around these games. If Simon Fraser is is available for those games, a number of those schools will take Simon Fraser as an opponent. You know, they could have a schedule as with, with, with 12 games on the season. So they have a place to play as an independent. Uh, in terms of the roster, there's 95 players that are on the uh, Simon Fraser roster. A number of them entered the transfer window, but... Uh, there have been discussions between the coaching staff, the alumni, and these players, and they say if if the if the team is revived uh, through the court date, they will stay and play with Simon Fraser. Coaches were given severance packages. None of the coaches have cashed their checks. They're ready to come back and 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 go as a as a coaching staff. So the coaching staff is there, right? 
Uh, the players are there. The schedule is there. The university has said this is not about the money. Amar Doman, the owner of the BC Lions, has helped the alumni raise a million dollars extra to put into this program over the next few years and is working with other uh, business people within British Columbia to establish stable funding for the next uh, five years on top of what the school already pays out. There's absolutely no excuse at this time for the university to not change course on this and, and find a way for this team to get back on the field in 2023. So why would the university balk? Well, why would the university make this decision in the first place? We still don't have the the answer to that. We don't have a clear answer on that. We just don't. We, we they talked about the student experience. Well, no one asked the students through a survey even what their experience was at the end of last year. That That's one point on this. And in terms of the student experience uh, getting herded into uh, a theater 30 minutes after an announcement, uh, with security guards on each side of the stage and two staff members telling people, hey, uh, you know, sorry, uh, your program is canceled. And when people ask why from the crowd, the answer was, well, difficult decisions have to be made. That's not an answer. <laughs> That's not a reason at the end of the day. Why are we at this juncture right now? Because the university administrators have dug their heels in. They, they're, they're, they're stubborn. They're, they're not listening to the community around them. They're not listening to their constituents. They're not listening to their student athletes. They're not listening to their alumni. They've made a decision within their own management circle. At, at this hour, they're sticking to it. And there's still time for them to change course on this, and I really hope they do. Is there concern at all that if the university administration wins the day, that there may be some other institutions around this country that might look at that and go, hey, maybe we could do that as well because right now we're struggling with our program. Honestly, this is the reason, the number one reason uh, that I stepped up in this is that I wanted to uh, be in a position where we supported student-athletes in this first and foremost, but also sent a signal that if – one of our programs was was under attack, like like uh, this in in this instance, that we could rally the support of the football community nationwide, and it would be a very unpopular and very difficult move to make to cancel a university football program for all the reasons that I've mentioned in this podcast so far, in terms of the history piece and terms of the bond with community, in terms of the responsibility to student-athletes and, and their families, all of those things. And I think that we have proven beyond a reasonable doubt, and, and somebody in a senior position in Canadian University Sport said to me um, two days ago, he said, man, if, if I'm running a, a, a football program and I thought about canceling that football program, there is no way I would do that now. So for us, from a Football Canada perspective, mission accomplished. And how about you personally? Just taking a toll on you. I, I signed up to this this role as president of, uh, of Football Canada to, to literally spread the gospel of the sport. The reason we do it is because we we love this sport and we and we know the effect that it has 
uh, on the participants and the families and, and, and those people around the sport. Well, if, if you're not kind of evangelical about getting the message out and involving yourself, if you're going to be in this role, then you shouldn't be in this role. So as, as much as uh, times that uh, I can kind of privately grouse about uh, three-hour Zoom meetings and being on call 14 hours a day through all of this, this is what I signed up for. It's these moments, and and there's you know what I'm not alone. There's other people uh, like me that are that are with PSOs who are on our board, who are on our staff, who work in the CFL office. You know Brian Ramsey, the leader of the CFLPA, he really stepped up behind the scenes. You didn't see him uh, be really present in this, but uh, I rest assured, I can tell you that he was trying to work every channel uh, with the uh, provincial government that we could. It's, I mean, it's not just me. There's there's a whole team of people right now that are that are putting the same, if not more, time into this, and I and I really salute them because they're dedicated not just to the history of the program, but those 95 kids that are on that roster. Because what this university has done, the way they've done it, and the way they've timed it, has done damage to the the future education and athletic possibilities for these kids. And I I just can't stand for it. Jim Mullen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Anytime. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. I know, I know we tried to get together about three or four times over this last week or so. We finally did it, man. We finally got it done. We, we got there. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.